Well, again, a little audience participation here, okay? So uh, I want you to think about this, and I want you to actually shout out your answers. Um, what is the best Christmas gift you ever received as a child? Best Christmas gift you ever got as a kid? A pop gun. Bicycle. Record pl- a record player? <laughs> Let me explain what that is to some of you. <laughs> a clock radio, good job. Well, I can remember when I was a kid, a lot of gifts, but one that really sticks in my mind, and I don't know if I've ever even told my wife about this, I was just thinking about it yesterday. I remember getting this uh, transistor radio, but it was one you had to put together yourself. It came in a box, and so I remember receiving that, and at first thinking, I'm not sure about this. And then my dad and I, you know, taking that thing out, and all the pieces were there and the wires, but you had to connect everything, and we put that thing together and, and turned it on, and we actually could receive a radio station or two on this radio that we put together. It, it was a pretty cool thing, and uh, maybe that's what propelled me to be involved in radio when I was in high school. I don't know, but it, it was a great Christmas gift. You know, Christmas is marked by the idea of giving gifts. And we do it to we give gifts to people that we care about, people that we love. And it really is a reflection of the origin of Christmas. Because God at Christmas time, when we celebrate Christmas, gave the greatest gift that has ever been given when He gave His Son Jesus. Now when you think of the Christmas story, like me, you probably think of a, a nativity scene with the baby in a manger and the, the shepherds maybe out on the hillside and the angels appearing to them. And you think of singing Silent Night. And that's all a great part of the story. But did you ever stop to think that the story is so much bigger than that? We're launching our Christmas series today, A Weary World Rejoices. And I hope in this series I can help remind you or maybe help you to see for the first time that the story is way bigger than just a baby in a manger. There was a prophet who lived 700 years before Jesus was born. His name was Isaiah. And Isaiah lived during a very tumultuous time for the nation of Israel. They lived in a very weary world. They uh, had uh, kind of decided to do their own thing. They were kind of like a, a big dysfunctional family, the nation of Israel. They had split in two. They had thumbed their noses at God and were doing whatever they wanted, included sometimes worshiping other gods. Their nation was under the threat of attack from several other countries who threatened not only to attack, but to take them away into captivity. They, the nation was a mess. The, the poor were oppressed. It was a very difficult time. It was a very weary world. And at this time, Isaiah spoke a prophecy. A prophecy about a coming Messiah. And this coming Messiah would bring hope and joy and peace to their weary world. I guarantee you somewhere along the series that's not going to come out right, okay? A weary world? Just try saying it three or four times really fast. Whoever thought of calling the series to say no, they need to have their head examined. Anyway, so he prophesied about a coming Messiah who would come into their weary world. Now Isaiah spoke an incredible number of prophecies and he paints this amazing picture of Jesus 700 years before He would ever come. From Jesus' humble birth in a manger to His sacrificial death on the cross. Isaiah the prophet is quoted more by writers of the New Testament than any of the other prophets of the Old Testament. Over 60 times he is quoted. And he begins one of his most important words of prophecy to the nation of Israel and to us 
with these mind-bending words found in Isaiah chapter 9. If you brought your Bibles, I hope you'll uh, turn there. Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah is uh, after uh, Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, and if you get to Jeremiah and Lamentations, you've gone too far. We're just going to look at a couple of verses here. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. But I want you to know where this is in your Bible, because I want to encourage you this week to go home and read all of chapter 9 of Isaiah and what the prophet has to say. But listen to what he says. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born. Remember, this is 700 years before this would really happen. For to us a child is born. Talking about Jesus. To us a son is given. God's son would be given to us. And the government will be on His shoulders. Or it could be translated, He will be our ruler. And He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of His government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over His kingdom, over the nation of Israel, the people He was writing to, speaking to, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now, Isaiah is describing something that is very profound and radical. In these few short verses, he talks about a very interesting twist, a huge change, a cosmic kind of change to what has been happening in history. He's talking way more than just about a baby coming to be born in a manger. He is talking about God giving a gift to planet Earth. And that gift is a new ruler. Now, why is that significant? Well, let's go back a little bit and do a quick history lesson. If you go back to the very beginning of the book of Genesis, when God created the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, God said to them, I want you to rule over the earth. They were given rulership over the earth. But when Adam and Eve were tempted by Satan in the garden and Satan showed up and said, you don't really have to do it God's way. You can do it this way. And they gave in to the great deceiver and they sinned against God. They lost their right to rule over the earth. And in a very real sense, they handed the deed of rulership over to the great deceiver, Satan. And Satan began to have his reign over the human race. Now fast forward, do you remember Jesus Maybe you've heard the story about Him as He began His public ministry. He went off into the wilderness for 40 days. And during that time, He fasted and just sought God. And after the end of that 40 days, Satan comes along to try to tempt Jesus. He gives Him several different temptations. But do you remember one of those? He said to Jesus, Jesus, if you'll just simply bow down and worship Me, all of the kingdoms of the earth, and in some kind of visual miracle kind of thing, some kind of special power or something, he was able to show Jesus all of the kingdoms of the earth. And he said, if you'll just bow down to me, you can rule over the kingdoms, all these kingdoms. Jesus said to Satan, you know what? You're supposed to worship God only. And He's the only one I'm going to worship. Little did Satan know that Jesus had come not just as a baby, but He had come to begin His invasion in a sense. He had come to begin His rule over the earth. He was taking back the deed to the human race. And so, Jesus came not just as a baby in a manger. It's more than showing up as man and God. He came 
to rule over the earth. Now, why is that significant? Well, Isaiah gives us some descriptions of the kind of ruler that Jesus would be. And that's where I want us to spend the next few weeks kind of unwrapping these four descriptions or four royal titles that Isaiah gives to him. Because these four titles, these are what can bring hope and peace and joy into our weary world. Because Jesus came to be our ruler. So we're going to start today by looking at the first of these royal titles, the title Wonderful Counselor. Now, when you hear the word counselor, you may immediately think of going to see a counselor or a therapist kind of thing. And for a lot of us, it's like, oh, no, 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 I, you know, I do not want to go for counseling. You know, now let me just say as a side note, there is nothing wrong with that. And any, it's a good thing when you get to the point in life where you could use some help to seek good, wise counseling. But I know for some of us, that conjures up an image that we're not very comfortable with. But if you understand in Bible times, that word counselor was more the idea of someone who gives advice to the king. In today's term, we might call it a consultant. Someone who offers advice based on their expertise in a particular field. And here's what Isaiah was saying to the nation of Israel, and he says to each of us. He says this Messiah who would come as a baby in a manger, this new ruler wants to be your personal consultant. Wants to be your personal counselor. Wants to be your personal coach. I want to point out some things that I, if we could sit down one-on-one with our personal counselor, our personal coach, Jesus Christ today, I think there are four areas He'd give us some advice about. And this is what I want to spend a few minutes on. First, I think if we could sit down across the table or in our living room with Jesus and we could say, coach me, He'd say, I want to give you some advice on your motivations. Now that's a pretty big one. It's the why factor of life. Why do I do the things that I do? And Jesus would say to us that sometimes the reason that we do things, there's a much greater motivation to live for. There is a greater motivation to live for than simply your success in your career. There is a greater motivation to live for than your family. There is a greater motivation to live for than your friends. There is a greater motivation to live for beyond your favorite sports team. Jesus would say, the greater motivation is the relationship that you have with Me. We all, I think, understand that what we value in life is what motivates us. Why tomorrow will you get up and go to work? Is it because you value work? Will you get up and go to work because you value the paycheck that you'll get at the end of working? Is it because you value being able to put food on the table? And all of those things are motivations. But I think Jesus would say the reason that we get up tomorrow and do anything ought to flow out of our relationship with Him. Because that ought to be what is absolutely most valuable to us. In fact, Jesus said it this way in Matthew 22. Jesus said, You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. Jesus said, the greatest motivation that we could have in life is our relationship with Him. And so this Christmas season, as you think about that incredible thing that happened when Jesus was born as a a baby in a manger, would you let that manger remind you 
that there is nothing more valuable in our lives than our relationship with Jesus and there is nothing that motivates me more or should motivate me more than Jesus. And if there are other things in life that are motivating me, that motivation will run out at some point. That motivation won't bring the joy and fulfillment that Jesus offers when He becomes our motivation. Second thing that I think Jesus would say if He could look us in the eye and give us some coaching, some consulting, He'd say, I want to give you some advice about your behaviors. Uh, Michael and uh, Matthew and I, my two sons and I, we... Uh, uh, Tuesday afternoon, we drove over to Miami to see the Buckeyes play the Hurricanes in basketball. And uh, it was kind of fun for us to go and see them. We don't get to see them very often. And uh, the, the Buckeyes played terrible in the first half. I mean, the only exciting moment was when the Miami player got thrown out for punching one of our guys. But um, we found that exciting. Their fans didn't. I, I don't know why. Um, anyway, they, they played terrible. But they went in at halftime. And obviously, I don't know what the coach said. I don't know what tone he used. But obviously, he made some corrections at halftime. He pointed out some things that they were doing wrong because when they came back out for the second half, they played much better, made far fewer mistakes, and did just enough things right to be able to win the game, which I just had to throw that in, by the way. So, now what if the coach had gone in at halftime and said, yeah, you know, I know you're playing really badly and you're making a lot of mistakes. What you're doing just isn't right, but that's okay. Just go ahead. Oh, we would think that was crazy, wouldn't we? And he wouldn't be a coach for long because we expect that a good coach is going to point out wrong behavior and help correct it. When I, uh, you know, all throughout my uh, ministry years, I have uh, had the privilege of counseling people, of listening and trying to give advice and mostly just listening. That's what really good counseling is. And, but you know, I've learned along the way, I still mostly just listen because that's the best thing I can do in counseling often. But early on in counseling, when I would hear people talk about being involved in behaviors that weren't necessarily good for them, to be honest, I a lot of times I was afraid to say much. But as I have, I hope, matured and gotten a little older in life, when I hear people come into my office now for counseling and they begin to tell me, well, I'm headed down this path and I'm involved in this behavior, I have learned that the most loving thing I could do is look them in the eye and say, you know, that's not right. And that is not what God wants or expects from you. When Jesus came to earth to be our ruler, He came to deal with our behaviors. He came to deal, first of all, with our behavior in the sense that He came to offer forgiveness. He came to offer forgiveness for our sin, for the wrong behaviors that we've already been involved in, the wrong behaviors that we might be involved in today, the wrong behaviors that we'll be involved in in the future. Jesus came to give us forgiveness, which was an incredible gift. But you know what? Also beyond that, Jesus also came to help us see that when our behaviors are wrong, they need to be corrected. His gift was not just a gift of forgiveness. It was also the gift of, I want to help you straighten out your life and help you to live righteously, have a right life. And so he talked about, you need to love your enemies. He pointed out that you know you shouldn't even hate someone in your brother. It's the same as murdering them. He taught about the fact that to have lustful thoughts is just as bad as committing adultery. All kinds of things. Why? Because He wanted to be some kind of unrealistic, demanding kind of counselor to us? No. Because He loved us enough that He wanted us to do what is best for us. He wanted to help put up the guardrails for us. Give us some protection from wrong behaviors. And He wanted to help us see that He wants us to become like Him. 
Because when we become like Him is when we really begin to discover joy and peace in our lives. Well, a third kind of thing that I think if Jesus could sit across and look for us, I think Jesus would have some things to say about our resources. One piece of advice that I think He'd give us about our resources, I think He'd say, be more generous. You know, I think it's hard to err on the side of generosity. Are you familiar with the Dead Sea uh, in, over in, uh, I believe it's in Israel? Uh, the Dead Sea is called that because water flows into it, but there's no way for the water to flow out of it. And so it is so salty because there's no outflow that nothing can live in the water. Therefore, it is the Dead Sea. It's a great metaphor for what can happen in our lives if, if our life is all about just accumulating and taking in, but there is no giving out. We don't have real life. Because in Jesus' plan for things, we would receive blessings from God, absolutely. But He also expected that we would share that, those blessings with other people generously. This Christmas season, could I encourage you to live that out just by looking for random ways to be kind to people? You know, maybe it's the guy in line behind you at McDonald's, you buy their lunch. And just say, I'm doing it because God cares about you. Maybe you practice some generosity with your neighbors by doing something, anything, just to say, God cares about you. Would you just open your eyes this season? I think this is part of the advice Jesus would give us. Would you just open your eyes this Christmas season and really all year long and look for ways that you could be generous to other people, whether you know them or not? Just random acts of kindness. I think Jesus would also encourage us to be generous with our finances. I think Jesus would say if you really want to experience joy and peace and have hope in your life, then you won't hold too tightly to your finances. And one of the ways that you'll practice letting go of those is that you'll give 10% back to me, God would say. And you'll practice that kind of generosity with Him. You know, how could we with experiencing the outflow of God's blessing into our lives, do anything but have a desire to be generous with what He gives us. One more thing. If Jesus could sit down with us today and He could give us some advice as our wonderful counselor or wonder of a counselor, I think He'd have some things to say about eternal issues. You know, let's be really honest. I know that for some people, Christmas is not the most joyful time of the year. Because for some people, maybe some of you, it brings back memories of family members who are no longer with you. Maybe it brings back memories of things that you regret about your life. If we're really being honest this morning, maybe it causes you to realize that your family doesn't function much like a family. Can I just say to you this morning, our hope is not in any of those things. If Jesus could look you right in the eye this morning as your counselor, as your coach, He would say to you, your hope is not in any of those things. Your hope is in Me. Your hope is not in this life. Your hope is in the life that I have to offer. He would want us to realize that there is more to this life than this life. And that more is found in Jesus. And if He could look you in the eye today, the first thing that He'd want to be true about your life this Christmas is that you would accept the gift of Jesus. That you'd invite Jesus into your heart 
which simply means to say, you know what, Jesus, I realize I've messed up along the way. I need Your gift of forgiveness. I want You to be my Savior and I'm going to allow You, I trust You, to be the leader of my life. That's the first... Maybe that's, maybe we should have put that one at the beginning. Because I think Jesus is our personal coach, personal counselor. That's what He'd be most concerned about. Because this Christmas season, in the midst of our weary world, He wants to be our wonderful counselor. But it begins by having a relationship with Him. And then as we develop that relationship, He brings that peace and joy and hope that we are so eager to have in our lives. Jesus came to be our ruler, to be our wonderful counselor. I like the words to the song that we sang, the one Christmas song, Joy to the world! The Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Did you catch that when we sang it? Let every heart prepare Him room. Is there room in your heart today for Jesus? If this is going to be a wonderful time of the year for you, it begins by making sure that Jesus is part of your life. God, I thank You that Jesus is our wonderful Counselor. And I thank You, God, that You have given Him rule over the kingdom of earth. And Father, He desires to rule over our lives, but He won't demand that from us. He'll only rule over our lives when we allow Him to do that. So God, would You work in our hearts today to help us to see if there's any part of our lives that we have refused His kingship over and to give that to Him today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.